Amen. Well, good morning to you, church. And how, how powerful is it? I love just being able to come in here right as that song was going on. But how powerful is it, the declaration this morning, that Jesus has not failed you? Man, you, you, I mean, people can clap for that. that that's, that's, a, that's, that's something that you can. I just believe this morning that that's where God wants to lead us to. That that's the place where God is wanting us to step into. That God's got specific things that he's wanting to say to each and every individual heart here in this place. And, and, and that the, the anchor behind that is that Jesus is here, that he is with you, and that he will never fail you. And so it's just been, it's been my pleasure this morning just from 915 and then to be at East Campus uh, and then to come here just to open the word today in Matthew chapter 10. Pastor is away today. He is in North Carolina, um, and, and there's no doubt that he's loving on some grandkids right now and enjoying every second of that. He's also worshiping with Redemption Hill Church. It's a church that we as a congregation here helped plant, Brandon Mercer, uh, who served on our staff for, uh, for many years. Uh, we sent out, commissioned him out with others, and they're worshiping together with that church now. God's doing incredible things there. I'm just thinking about all that God's doing here in our midst as five mission teams are currently out right now, and God is doing a work in their midst and through their teams. And then tomorrow we send out our kids on mission. Uh, and, and, and I always love it when the mission begins before they ever leave. And, and church, we just should celebrate and stand in awe of God that already through, through what our kids on mission team and where God has taken them, we've seen seven people come to know Christ. Like that, that's a... <clears throat> It's an incredible testimony to what God is doing and really what God is calling us to. And we're going to see this here today as we, we open God's word and, and look at what Jesus is really kind of sending the disciples and what he is calling them to do. And as I was reading this passage, I, I started to think back uh, to, to my day and age of when I was a student and, and, and when basketball was really kind of basketball for me and, and I loved it. And, and the guy that I watched, the guy that I loved, it was Michael Jordan. And everybody here, I say that, and you, you resonate with that in some way, shape, form, or fashion. If you're of the new generation, you, know, you think LeBron is better than Michael. Um, that's just not true. Um, you know, just, just saying it. Uh, <clears throat> we can debate that at a later time, but I figure I had the pulpit, so I could, I could say that. Um, but, you know, Michael Jordan had all these commercials, but his best one, most famous one, was the Gatorade commercial. And, I'm, and I say that, and already in your mind, you're singing the song. But, but the song was just simply, I want to be like Mike. I want to be like Mike. And how great was that commercial? Little kids dribbling the basketball with their tongue hanging out. And, 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 all, and then there was the, the classic, you know, kind of middle-aged old guy that, that, that they had that could jump about two inches off the, off the ground, you know, trying to, like, dunk the basketball, and, and the only thing he could dunk was a donut. And, and, you know, you just remember those things. I remember playing basketball, you know, trying to be like Michael Jordan. Can I just tell you, I was nothing like Michael Jordan when I played basketball. I couldn't jump. Um, I was an okay shooter. Uh, I, I just wasn't that good. And, and, and the testimony to that is that I didn't play in the NBA. Newsflash for the room this morning. <clears throat> But you know, but wouldn't it be great if you could just drink a bottle of Gatorade and there you were, you were like Mike. And, and you could play the way that he played and do the things that he did. No, if you wanted to be like Mike and you had some level of skill, you had to work at it. 
Michael Jordan didn't just become Michael Jordan because he just woke up and got out of bed and said, I'm going to be Michael Jordan. No, he practiced. He worked hard. There was a cost that was involved in in, in getting him to the level where he got. And I I think our question this morning, and the thing that we really need to ask ourselves is, is do we want to be like Christ? Do you, do I, do we as the church, do we want to be like Christ? Because if the answer is yes, then the reality to that answer is that there is a cost for that. And Jesus begins to lay this out to his disciples as he is sending them out in his name and in his authority. So look with me, if you will, at verse 22. It says, you'll be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through, through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop right there just to kind of frame something for you. The context of this day and age is that the ultimate goal of a disciple, like the aim, the purpose, the reason that a disciple existed was to be like their master. That was a core tenet of the belief of the Jews and also a core tenet to the belief of the, the greater Roman world at that time. So this, their, their idea of a disciple was somebody who would look like and be like whoever their master was. Look at verse 25. It says, is it, it is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like, like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? So just follow the logic here. If Jesus was persecuted and he's our teacher and he's our master, then what makes us think that we're above that? What makes us think that we won't endure what he endured? In 1 Peter 2.21, Peter tells us that we're to follow in the steps of Jesus in the path of suffering. So it's a reality for us. And if you proclaim the name of Jesus, that if you declare the power of the gospel, that you will be betrayed, that you will be hated, that you will be persecuted, that you will experience suffering. People call Jesus Satan. And so if our life is going to be identified with him and marked by him, then they're going to call us the same thing. So the reality for us this morning, church, is that the danger of our lives increases in proportion to the depth of our relationship with Christ. So the deeper that we grow in our relationship with Christ, the the, the closer that we grow with him, the more that we are conformed into his image, then the danger that we face in our lives will exponentially grow. And and that seems like it would be a foreign thing for us because you're like, well, Tim, we live in America, so those things aren't really happening. No, can I just tell you that it is happening right here in America, not just around the world. That the more that we seek to be like Christ, that the more that we seek to pursue after him and to live sacrificial, radical lives of obedience to what the word of God says and to glorify him and to make Jesus known, the greater the danger is that we're going to face in our lives. The truth for us is this, is that the call to follow Jesus is not a call to an easy life. We long for easy today. Everything, the touch of a button, pull it up on your phone. You know, make it easy for me. Make it just as easy as it possibly can be. And that's the culture in which we live. But that is not the culture and the call to follow Christ. It is not a call to an easy life. I can't stand up here and tell you honestly that if you choose to surrender your lives to Jesus, that you're surrendering your life to an easy life, that everything is going to be peachy keen, that everything's going to come up smelling like roses. That's just not the truth, church. 
But here's what I can promise you, what I can guarantee you, based on what the Scripture says and based on the testimony of my life and the lives of those who surrendered their hearts and souls to Jesus Christ, is that while the call to follow Jesus is not a call to an easy life, it is a call to a full life, a full and complete life. And so if you're here this morning and you're searching and you're seeking and you're longing for something to fill the hole that exists within you, I'm just telling you here today, you will not find it in the world. You will not find it in materials. You will not find it in things. You will find it in one person and one person alone, Jesus Christ. And he's here for you. Just say, come follow me. Come follow me and find the life that is full. Everyone who wants a safe, carefree, dangerless life should stay away from Jesus. If we're conformed to him, we will be betrayed, hated, persecuted. We can't just sit back and kind of this routine, comfortable Christianity that says, I came on Sunday, I came on Wednesday, I checked my box, and I moved on about my, my way. That's what the world wants. That's what the enemy wants. We've got to move out in the power in which Christ has sent us. Jesus said in Luke 6, 40, everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. This is, the, this is the basic truth of what the gospel tells us. Like these verses, you may be sitting here today saying, Tim, like, this doesn't sound real encouraging. I, I've never been accused of being an encourager before in my life, so, so that's part of it. But, but no, this, there's great comfort in this, church. Because here's the truth. Some will not accept the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel that we share, some people will not accept that, and persecution will follow in that. Jesus doesn't say if persecution comes, but when it comes. Following the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples faced opposition and persecution just like Jesus had mentioned to them. They were called to a gritty, physical, desperate, minute-by-minute faith with complete reliance on the person and work of Jesus Christ to be manifested in their lives. And so you want to be like Christ? Then you will be like the one who was mocked, beaten, scourged, ridiculed, spit on, nailed on a cross. Do you want to be like Christ? So Jesus just lays out for us in these next verses just some realities for us and just some things that we need to understand. And the first is this this morning, is that fear will seek to stop us. Fear will seek to stop us. Look with me, if you will, in verse 26. I'm going to have you underline some things there in your scripture. It just starts off, it says, do not be afraid. Just underline that phrase there. Do not be afraid of them. For there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Underline this again. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Once again, underline this again. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. These words of Jesus in verses 26 through 31, this is the comfort. Three times, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's the message over and over and over again. Fear, church, is a real temptation. It's a real thing that the enemy will seek to use to snuff us out and to silence us in what God has called us to do. Not just fear in the third world countries and the places where the gospel is hard to, to proclaim out, but even here, fear to go to the cubicle next, next to us in our office, fear to go across the street to our neighbor, fear to sit across the table from a loved one and just simply say, this is who Jesus is. 
The enemy wants to silence us with fear, and Jesus is saying here, no, you cannot give in to that. Fear is going to seek to stop you, and I believe that fear is the biggest obstacle to obeying the great commission that Christ has given to us. And so I love it that Jesus just says, here's how you can overcome that. Here's the way in which you can overcome fear. So if you're afraid here today, and here, I understand this and I know this, that we live in culture and a society today where fear is pressing on the souls and the hearts of men and women each and every day. Young, old, married, single, doesn't matter. All across our globe, fear is just raining in on people. And it is shackling them and holding them back from what God is seeking to do in their hearts and in their lives. So Jesus says, here's how you can overcome fear. He just says you have to see eternally. You've got to see eternally. He he says, don't be afraid. Nothing is concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And, And so he's already said it in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's laid this out to us, that we are currently living in overlapping kingdoms. That we're living in a kingdom that right now is temporary. It is the kingdom of this world. But if you're a follower of Christ and a believer of Jesus and you have surrendered to him and confessed him as Lord, then you are also a member and a citizen of the kingdom that is to come. And that is the kingdom of God. And that kingdom lasts and stands forever. So when fear comes up against us, we don't have to live in kind of this backing down and and timidness from it. No, we can stand up to the fear because here's what we know. We serve a God and we're a child of God Almighty and the kingdom in which he lives and the kingdom in which he reigns is going to reign forever. So nothing that is happening in this kingdom right now, in the kingdom of this world, can stand up to the kingdom that's going to stand forever. So we see eternally which then pushes us into that fear and says, no, the eternal kingdom is going to last. The eternal kingdom is going to stand. So I don't have to be afraid of what is standing in front of me right now today. So we see eternally, but also we have to speak boldly. It just says there, whatever, whatever God whispers to us through his word is to be proclaimed on the rooftops or on the housetops. Up to now, Jesus has consistently said, and you can look back in Matthew 8 and verse 4, he's consistently called for secrecy. But the time is coming for the disciples, and it has come for us today where the secret must be proclaimed universally, loudly, proudly, boldly for everyone to hear. We're reminded again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't let your light hide, but let it shine for all to see. So we should speak the truth of God everywhere, speak it often, clearly, and boldly. And we hear this a lot, and sometimes people push back on that, and they say, well, I don't really have the knowledge to really do that, or I don't have the skill set in which to accomplish that. So how is it that, that we do this? And I made this mistake both in, in student ministry and in college ministry, that you try to kind of send students out, and you try to send college students out and say, you know, just go ransack your campuses for Jesus. And that's intimidating for, for a 15 or 16-year-old or even an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old because they're sitting there saying, I, I got 1,000 people in my class and, and all of these people on my campus You know, I've got 68,000 people on my campus. I don't really know how to do that. I I don't feel qualified for that. I don't feel called to do that. And and, and so here's the the truth for us this morning, church. And I think Jesus is calling us to a real intimate level. He's just asking us this. Who's your one? Who's your one? The person next to you in the office, across the street, the family member, the friend. Who's your one who needs to hear the message of the gospel? who needs to hear you share who Jesus is. Who is that one? 
Because if we can answer that and we share with that one, I guarantee you this, you'll then see another one. And then you'll see another one. And then you'll see another one. And it will continue and you will begin to speak boldly the message of the gospel in the midst of the fear that you may be facing. Who is your one that you can stand up against the fear of this world and say, I'm just going to tell you about Jesus because Jesus changed my life. I've got a story of grace to share. I'm going to share it with this one and then the next one and the next one. But we also have to sacrifice. I love that, that Jesus just very plainly here in, in verse 28 just gives us the reasoning behind this courage. He says, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus knows here. Like he's coming from a place of knowledge that we will be tempted to be afraid of man. And he says, you don't need to fear them, you need to fear God. The worst that man can do is kill you. That's the worst that they can do. And he just lays that out so practically. And he says, but you need to be afraid of God. Like your, your focus must be on eternal things so that nothing that man can do to you matters. I, I'm just reminded that the saints of old feared man so little because they feared God so much. And yet today, it seems so often that we fear man a lot, and so we ignore God. God has called us to stand in awe of him, to be fearful of him, not to be afraid of him, but to be fearful in a respect and awe, and to say that you know, no matter what, I'm going to sacrifice for you. Because you're the one who controls all things. You're the one who set the world in motion. You're the one who, who holds the universe together. You're the one who put me on this earth with a purpose and with a plan. And so I'm not going to fear man because the worst that man can do is kill me. But I'm going to stand in awe and I'm going to fear God. Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we're going to see all of this and understand that while fear will seek to stop us, we're going to see eternally and speak boldly and sacrifice our lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Jesus doesn't just tell us that fear is going to seek to stop us. He also gives us this qualification that the Father is seeking to send us. That the Father is seeking to send us, and he's not seeking to send us alone. I, I, I love that. Nan and I on Friday, we took our kids to Georgia to spend spring break with, with my mom, their grandmother. And, and, and can I just tell you what we didn't do? We did not take Jacob and Emma Grace to the bus station with a bag and give them a ticket and say, the bus is going to show up at this time. Just make sure you get on it, so send I you. And then get in our car and leave. Like, we did not do that. Some of you are like, what? Well, I've done that, Tim. I, well, okay, that's, that's, that's you. Um, but we did not do that. No, I mean, we, we packed for our children. They're, they're seven and five. If they were left to pack for themselves, they would have taken a bunch of stuffed animals and action figures, no clothes. Um, no, we packed for them. We packed for both types of weather. It, it, it's right now, it's cold in Georgia. Um, but by the time they get ready to leave, it's supposed to be a little bit warmer. So we packed for both sets. We gave them jackets. We gave them shoes. We got them fully taken care of. We packed their toothbrush, which we have forgotten that at times. No, we did all of that. We prepared them on the way there. We went through the rules. Jacob, you're not supposed to fight or wrestle your sister. Emma Grace, you're not supposed to boss your brother around. Like we gave all of those kind of qualifications. Like we did whatever we could to fully prepare them and send them as if we would be there with them. Now then we left them, 
But we didn't leave them alone. We left them with my mom. And so now they're with her, and they're under her care. Can I just tell you here today that God is not up in heaven saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send this person out. I'm going to kick them out the door and say, man, I hope it works out real well for you, and then just forget about you and leave you on your own. That is not what God is doing. When God sends you, he goes with you, and in going with you, he's empowering you, and in that empowering you, then you don't have to be afraid of whatever's going on in, in the world around you. This is the beauty of God. And so I think sometimes like we think, oh man, I've got, God's calling me to go, so I've got to go. And when I go, I've got to go by myself. No, God's calling you to go with him. That's the beauty and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he just lays it out here. He says in verse 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What do we know of the Father's care just based on these verses? He's guiding us. God's in control. If he's in control of the smallest sparrow falling to the ground, he is therefore more than able to sovereignly and powerfully direct each and every step that we take amidst the danger of the mission in which he has led us into. So he's the one that is guiding us. He also sees us. And he knows us. It says there that he, he knows the numbers of, your, of the hairs on your head, that they're all numbered there. Hey, God is seeing you. He knows every detail of your life. He knows more of your life than you know about your life. And so in seeing you and knowing you and going with you and guiding you, it's just a beautiful picture of how much he cares about you. That the one who calls us to go as a sheep in the midst of the wolves, that he is a good God. And so we don't have to fear today, church. I just, I, I just sense it in the place that people are like, man, Tim, I, I'm afraid about a, a lot of different things. On what will it mean for my life to follow Jesus? Or, or what am I going to have to give up? Or what am I going to have to do? Or what am I going to have to sacrifice? And I'm going to be all alone. I think God's entering into the, our story here this morning, just simply to say, you're not alone. Like, I'm walking with you in this. I'm sending you with me on the mission in which we're going to accomplish for my glory and for the name of Jesus. So that leaves us just with, with one final thing this morning, is that we have to decide how we will respond. We must decide how we will respond. Look at verse 32 there. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword there is just a metaphor for the inevitable separation between those who believe in Christ and those who don't believe in Christ. In verse 35, he says, For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Just underline that phrase there, we'll find it. 
I'm just telling you here today, I said it at the beginning, I'm going to say it again, because I just, it needs to be reiterated here. What you are seeking for, you will find in Jesus. Christ makes that abundantly clear. You're going to find it. And, and so, what then does it look like when we choose the Father over fear? Because that's the call. The choice is this. Are you going to choose fear and, and be relegated back to silence and to not being on mission and to not moving forward in the purposes and power and plans in which God has set for your life? Or are you going to choose the Father and sacrifice all of who you are to simply follow after him in complete and utter obedience to all that God's word has called us to do? And so those are the options that he's laying out there to you and to me. So which one is it that you're going to choose? You cannot waver between two opinions, folks. More than ever, the church has to make a choice. Are we going to seek to be culturally relevant? Or are we going to seek to be Christ-centered? Are we going to seek to just kind of bow at the whim of man? Or are we going to seek to bow in fear and reverence to God Almighty? You can't choose, but you can't just sit in the middle. you got to choose. The Father or fear. So what does it look like when we choose the Father? It just looks like this, that we will proclaim. We will proclaim. Verses 32 through 33, as a disciple of Jesus, you are going to confess him publicly. Now here's what that word confess means. It just simply means to affirm or to agree or to identify with. And so if you're going to follow Christ, you don't sit back in silence. You don't sit back and let other people kind of stand in the way. No, we make it known to others that we belong to him. I heard it said in a, in a message this week, and it really resonated with me. But you know, what we have done is we have identified ourselves with the issues in which we are currently facing or we have faced, or we are identifying ourselves with the issues of the world around us. Can I just tell you here today that we are not called to identify with the issues in which we have faced or are facing or will face or the issues of this world. We are called to identify as sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. That is our identification. Your identification today is not, here are the failures of my life. Your identification today is not, here are the struggles in my life. Your identification today is not, here's what I'm wrestling with. Here's my anxiety. Here's my fear. No, if you're a blood-bought child of God Almighty, your identification is I stand in power by the grace of God. I'm a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. That's your identification. See, one of the greatest things and one of the greatest ways that fear shackles us is that it shackles us to the failure of our past. Jesus defeated the power of your past. He set you free from that. And this is what the world, if the world holds us back, saying, well, what about that one time? What, what, about, what about that one time over there? Or, or what about when you did this? And Jesus stands, his arms open. With the, with the scars on his wrist and on his feet, and said, I paid for that. And I set you free from that. So you can proclaim and confess boldly and identify yourself, not by who you were, but by who you are in Jesus Christ. So we will proclaim, but we will also pursue we will pursue. Jesus asked here for unqualified allegiance. Unqualified allegiance. This was him asking for this was something that not even the most esteemed rabbi would have ever demanded. 
And so Jesus is asking for something radical in here. And the, his point in verses 37 and 38, he's just speaking of loving him more, pursuing him more than even your own family members. Loving him more than your spouse. Loving him more than your children. Loving him more. Putting him above all else. Above everything else. And pursuing him daily. Because everything else is temporary, but he stands forever. He is eternal. And so putting aside all of this and just saying, I, I, I'm pursuing Christ. Can I ask you this morning, what, what are you pursuing? What is it that you're pursuing? Are you pursuing the security and, and the financial stability through a job? And the resources that come from that? Are you pursuing some sort of desires or dreams that are relegated to your family? Are you pursuing something just as a selfish desire for yourself? What is it that you are pursuing today? Because if it's not Jesus, and if it's not him, then those things need to move back and Christ needs to stand prominent and in the center. Because when we choose the Father over fear, we're pursuing Jesus. Can I just tell you why like, people face fear so much? It's because all of those other things, they don't bring satisfaction. If you're pursuing money here today, you're going to constantly live in fear of losing that money or not having enough of that money. And there's always going to be this anxiety and this fear of I don't have enough or I'm not going to get enough or I'm not going to be able to buy this or pay for this or do this. It's going to always well up inside of you. When you choose the Father, there's never that because you know he will provide everything that you need in your life. When you're pursuing dreams outside of the purposes and plans that God's had for you, there's going to always be this fear of, man, I, I, I'm not going to reach that goal. I'm not going to get to that place. I'm not going to accomplish that. And so then I'm not going to be successful. And all of these things are going to well up inside of you and anxiety and worry and fear. Man, when you pursue the Father and you seek to glorify Him in every aspect of what you do, there's no anxiety in that. There's a fulfillment in that. And so then wherever that space is that God has put you, then you're going to pursue Christ in that space with excellence in what you're doing. So if you're a teacher, you're going to pursue Christ in that. And, and he's going to show in the, in the manner in which you teach and lead students and children. And if you're a lawyer, you're going to stand in that law office and, and you're going to pursue Christ. But you're going to do it and be the best lawyer that you could possibly be. Not so that you can have success, but just so that you can glorify God. So we begin to identify things and identify our lives in different manners when we are pursuing the Father over just pursuing the dreams and desires of ourselves. And we will pursue him if we choose him. And then finally, we'll pick up. We will pick up. In verses 38 to 39, Jesus says that we must lose our life in order to find it. He's just simply saying, pick up your cross. Pick up your cross, follow Christ, and die. And the end result is more than worth it. I get it. The crucifixion, it's a shocking metaphor there for discipleship. But, but listen, a disciple must deny himself. 
And that just, that just means to die to self-will. To die to, to this idea of, I can figure this out myself. Or I, I've got all the answers myself. Or, or I can make this work out myself. Or I can pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and, and get to where I need to get. It, it, it's just dying to all of that self-will. All of that idea of I've got it together and, and I can figure this out and I can do X, Y, and Z to kind of make it all work out in the best possible way. It, it is dying to all of that. And it's just simply taking up the cross. When you take up the cross, what you're saying is I'm going to embrace God's will in my life no matter what the cost is. Like no matter what it costs, no matter what the situation calls for at hand, I'm going to embrace fully the will of God in my life as I take up that cross and I follow after him. And so as I was thinking of this and looking at this, I was reminded of becoming a father for the very first time. And I think those of us that are parents in the room, like you remember that first child. And so on June 28, 2011, in Albany, Georgia, Emma Grace was born and became a part of mine and Nan's life forever. And I'll never forget it because Nan gave birth and, and, and they do all the stuff, and they get her all cleaned up, and, you know, you guys know, those of you that had kids. Um, and, and so they took Nan to the recovery room, but they took Emma Grace up, you know, first to the little nursery area where everybody's kind of looking at the glass, and can I just tell you, that's a safe space to be in. Like, it's, like, there she is, she's on one side of the glass, there's all these trained nurses and professional people, and they're giving her a bath and all of that type of stuff. But then there's a moment, and they took Emma Grace, rolled her out of that nursery, and rolled her into the room where, where Nan was going to be, kind of in that kind of couple days while we were going to be in the hospital. So they roll her into the room. Well, at that point in the room, the only person in the room is me. And Nan has not made it up yet from recovery. So I, I'm, I'm there in the room with this six-pound, eight-ounce, just beautiful gift from God. And the nurse tells me, she says, you can, you can pick her up. I'm like, are you sure you want me to do that? Is that, is that good? Is that protocol? Um, and I just remember I picked her up, and I'm sitting there holding her, and I just wept. I wept tears of joy out of just this, like, this is incredible gift that God has entrusted to us. Uh, and, and I, I was like, God, I don't know why you did this, but this is amazing. Then, I'll just be real, I was also crying because they brought a baby into the room without the mommy. And I was thinking, I, like, that seems to be bad, bad practices by the hospital. Um, and so I was just thinking, why, why did you do this? Um, like, where is her mother? And um, so I was also overwhelmed by that. I was like, you know, I can't couldn't do this by myself. I'm going to, you know, break her or something. But as I'm sitting there holding her, I, I realized something in that moment. And it was just simply this, that I, I was incredibly selfish in my life. Incredibly self-centered. You know, I, I wanted what I wanted. I wanted to do it when I wanted to do it. I wanted to go where I wanted to go, do what I wanted to do, have what I wanted to have. Even though Nan and I were married, like that was just the, the, the posture and the position of where my heart was. I'll never forget looking into that little girl's eyes and thinking to myself, 
You can have whatever you want, whenever you want it. I'm going to lay aside every part of who I am for you. Because I, I wanted her to have it all. And have everything that she could want. She's seven. She'll be eight in June. Every day I look into those brown eyes of her. And that sassy little smile. And she's a smart aleck like her father is. And all of that. And I just look every day and I think to myself, man, it is so worth it. Have I sacrificed? Yeah, I've sacrificed. You know? I, she reminded me the other day, we were at a restaurant one time, and, and she got really, really sick. And she took my hat and got sick in my hat. I just threw the hat away. It's like, you know, just threw it in the garbage. But let me tell you this. It's the same way in our walks with Christ. If you will set aside all of who you are and pick up the cross, you will see it's worth it, church. You'll never question it. You'll never doubt it. You will just be fulfilled by it. I love, as we look at this, just look back at verse 1 of chapter 10. Because Jesus does two things here in a couple of verses. It says that Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then in verse 40, he says, anyone who welcomes in the NIV, I, I, I like the ESV translation a little bit better. It says, anyone who receives you, receives me. And anyone who receives me, receives the one who sent me. Christ's disciples, a disciple of Christ, bears his message and his authority. The authority that Jesus gave to each disciple, it was enough to get them through any hardship, any struggle, and any trial, and any persecution that they faced upon their journey. And church, that same authority and that same message, that same power is true for you and for I as believers in Jesus Christ today. And so the call of Jesus, the call upon our lives this morning is just simply this, to pick up your cross and to let go of fear. To pick up your cross and to let go of your dreams and your desires and your purposes and your plans. To just pick up the cross, to embrace the will of God and to follow after Jesus. And can I tell you that when you do that, you won't sit around and say, I wonder why I did that. That really wasn't worth it. No, you will stand in the fullness and satisfaction of God Almighty in Jesus Christ and say, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. And every single day, no, it's not easy. Yes, there are struggles. Yes, there are trials. But every day, it is worth it because I can say I am in Christ for all time. And I stand in that power, and I stand in that truth. And so I'm going to take another step towards Jesus today. And the next day, I'm going to take another step towards Jesus today. And I'm not going to turn back and see what the world has to offer because it doesn't have anything to offer that can compare to Christ Almighty. So will you today, church, will you let go and pick up your cross and follow him? With heads bowed and eyes closed,
just believe that here in this place today that there are people just that they're sitting here and you're hearing this and hearing the call of Christ and how Christ can come and offer you fulfillment and are saying to yourself this morning, I, I, I just need Jesus. I want to tell you, he's here for you. He has come to meet you right where you are. And so if you've never believed and confessed Jesus as Lord of your life, you can do that right here today and your life will be changed forever because of him. You just simply have to come to him and just you can pray this. There's nothing special about the prayer, but there's everything powerful about the person to who you're praying. And just say, Jesus, I need you. I want to give up my life to follow you. I put my past behind me. And I take hold of your cross. And I want to follow you from this day forward. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for the freedom that I have in you. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.